Welcome to the Old Galway Diary Podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Hi, Tom. Good morning to you. And I love Hello, Ronnie. You. How are you? It's a gorgeous day in Galway. I don't know what it's like yeah. out in Far Barna. You know, usually you have a different temperatures out there. But how, what's the weather like with you today? Well, we're at a higher altitude than the rest of the yes, city, so yes. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. The weather is absolutely beautiful. Not a cloud in the sky, and uh, that's it. I'm all ready to yeah. go now. <laughs> it's been like that all April, actually. It's extremely yes, dry. indeed. Rain, yeah. which is wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And we are a Mediterranean people of the north, I'm absolutely convinced, because once the sun shines, people sit outdoors, they drink their coffee outside, they wear lovely clothes. You know, there's a whole change comes over the town. The rain goes away. There's That's no- right. They smile and they yeah. kind of skip down the street. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, Tom, well, as we skip along as well, how are we this week? What are you going to write about? Well, I, one of the things I want to talk about is one of the major changes in Galway. When, when I was in school, the idea of being taught music of any kind was, would have been laughable, really. <laughs> I know that about 100 years ago, Taylor's Hill School ha- actually had an orchestra, Ooh. which was kind of amazing at the time. Right. But uh, certainly in my time, no. And since then, like, you know, uh, there was certainly no way uh, of mi- musical instruments being taught and definitely not the idea of putting a community orchestra together. Yeah. There would have been some schools, all right, that would have had a few musicians and they would probably put together these to form a little orchestra for the annual school play or the yeah. operetta or the yeah. annual show, whatever. Uh, and the music teachers were obviously very influential in, in passing on this love of music to yeah. the pupils. But then uh, one of these teachers in 1982, Moira Nihir McLaughlin, a former pupil of Sean O'Reilly's, she proposed the idea of setting up a county orchestra to bring together uh musicians from all over the county. And she managed to do this in 82. She brought together pupils from Spiddle, schools in Spiddle, in Lochray and in Chum, and in the city from Salerno and the Jays. And she formed the first Galway Youth Orchestra. Now, 40 years ago, just getting them together was quite an <laughs> achievement in itself, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously the nature of the group meant they, they had occasional rehearsals uh, together, but it was, you know, it was very loose, really. Uh, yeah. But then, uh, well, they had their first public performance in Park Lodge in Spiddle right. on January 6th, 1983. Okay. And then their inaugural concert was in the Great Southern Hotel 
on the 5th of May of that year. <clears throat> now, uh, the hotel was packed. The, uh, there were 72 members in the orchestra. So even if they only brought their parents along, it would have been quite a crowd. But there was a terrific crowd and a very enthusiastic crowd. Uh, and they listened to the Baccarole, to Morris dances, to a 12-year-old Ilan Piper from Air Court called Heather Clark, who came to join them as well yeah. <clears throat> to perform Sean O'Dear Glana, which to me put them on a slightly adventurous path. They weren't just confining themselves to classical music. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> it was a big success, that concert. But it was also now obvious that they didn't have enough trained teachers in the county of Galway to train pupils in orchestral instruments. So they went to the Limerick School of Music, who were very cooperative, and they sent up teachers, a number of teachers on a weekly basis for classes, uh, which were always held in Colossia at the time. <clears throat> and then a couple of years later, the city of Galway, VEC, they incorporated these classes into their music education scheme, uh, which ran in the technical school. And now there was a, quite a wide range of in instruments being taught there. So if passing music onto a child was a gift, getting them to play an instrument was a gift, <clears throat> then I think making them part of an orchestra was a much greater gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they learned so much, yeah. really, yeah. from being what is essentially a very large and wonderful mm. instrument is what an orchestra mm. is. And yeah. being a part of that, they well, they learned to interact and to communicate with other people. Uh, and they were like they were part of a team. Uh, and they were also trying to involve an audience, of course. Mm. Uh, they would learn about posture, about presentation, about performance, yes. uh, about responsibility and respect for others. And in a lovely line, I thought some would learn to lead Others learn to follow, but all would learn to listen. All right. So yeah. uh, I, the Galway Youth Orchestra has really established itself and yes. it has its own identity. Yes, yes. It remains the longest running independent orchestra in the West of Ireland, yeah. even though obviously the personnel change constantly as people leave school. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> it wouldn't have been possible without the conductors they've had. And uh, they're, they're significant. It's a list of names, but I'm going to read them because I think they're all very important. Uh, Mara, of course, <coughs> Mara Nihuir was the first one. Anne Redmond, Carl Hessian, Helen Sheehan, Jennifer Kelly, Connie Fennell, Martin Hines, Claire Stimson, Claire Doody, Joanne Cater, Rosmina Joyce, Paul Ezra Gallus, Michael Dooley, John Fleming, Joan Cater, and Ingrid Nicole. I think we all are in these people's debt, really, for maintaining this orchestra and maintaining uh, mm -hmm. the kind of standards that they're yeah. up to. And, um, and so I have a photograph this week of mm -hmm. the yeah. uh, ensemble of 1990. Uh, They've had a lot of achievements. They've played in many different, all over the county of Galway, really. Yes, I've heard uh, them. Yeah. And th yeah, and throughout Ireland. And furthermore, they've 
<coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they've played in Paris, in Prague, in Lorient, in Germany. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. the reason I'm <coughs> writing all this this week, <coughs> excuse me, is that on this Saturday, April the 30th, <coughs> they will perform their first post-COVID concert. Good. Their first in this 40th anniversary year. And it will be in St. Nicholas's Collegiate Church oh. at 7 o'clock. Yeah. There may still be tickets. I don't know. But their patrons are welcome to come in early anyway and to have a cup of tea or coffee before the performance. Yeah. So good for Galway Youth Orchestra. Gamafada Boon Shiv. Well said, Tom. Well said. It's outstanding. I have heard them play as an orchestra in the in their beginning times, really, when they were getting yeah. their act together. It is part of a national uh, youth orchestra scheme. Bono, you too, Bono is behind some of it, and uh, it's it's money has been set aside to buy instruments because a lot of young people don't have that kind of money. But no. you're quite right. I've heard that orchestra, Tom, and they are. Yeah. Brilliant. You don't, you're yeah. not aware that they're young, as young as they look. You sort of half close your eyes and you're transported. And I think yeah. it's absolutely wonderful what has happened. And I saw last Saturday an extraordinary culmination of music, singing, orchestra uh, in St. Nicholas Collegiate Church, that wonderful church, Tom, in the middle of our town, the yeah. church, you know, whose stones tell the story of Galway over 700 years. They that do, indeed, yeah. And yeah. the stones and the various writings on the wall, they tell the story of Galway. But they brought together a, a, a combination, a, a scheme, I think it was called Na- Paper Boat, which they intended to launch years ago, but the COVID kept them quiet. But in conjunction, in collaboration with the national, the Irish National Opera, they presented a most extraordinary story of music and song. And it was so apt because it it centered around a family seeking refuge. And, you know, every time we put on the radio, we're hearing awful stories of thousands of people seeking refuge from Ukraine and places like that. So it was extremely, you know, topical in that sense and very, very moving. And what was interesting was it was kind of in Cromwellian times where people sought refuge in the church. But, of course, by giving them refuge, the people were putting themselves in danger. So there was this kind of tension as well. It was just so wonderful. But I kept thinking of what you're saying today. You know, the the people who have worked, the Carl Hessians, the people who've worked, Warren Aguirre, the people who've worked to bring out that talent in young people. It's there. It's there. It needs to be fostered. Yeah, uh, but I also think, sorry to cut across you, but but for example, the foundation of music for Galway since the bringing in of the Contempo String Quartet, who are outstanding musicians. What a good... These have been a huge influence, a major influence. And also, Music for Galway, importing some of the great musical talents internationally into this city, obviously has been a major influence and inspiration, I would suggest, to a lot of these young and budding musicians. And long may it continue. Where there was no classical music in Galway at all, today it seems to be thriving. <laughs> well, of course, we have an incredible traditional music tradition. 
that, you know, and, and in variations of that tradition as well, South Galway is different from Earconnacht uh, and places like that. I mean, we, we have a very rich traditional tradition, but of course, music embraces a wide church and, uh, you know, indeed. You yeah, know, yeah. what you're talking about is just that continuous ripples in the pond going outward and outward. Well, I remember, Tom, in a, a gallery, you probably don't know this, there was a gallery, Kenny's Art Gallery were in Middle Street one time, and in lunch hour, they had the Contempo. Now, this is many years ago, probably before you were born. And I attended that lunchtime concert. I was shoved up against the back wall and probably knocking paintings off the wall. That's because you were late coming in. <laughs> Listening to Contempo. And it was yeah. such a great way to spend lunch hour, I tell oh, you. Oh, yes. Yeah. When, when they asked me if we would host these concerts first, yeah. I thought, in here... Yeah. It's very small. Yeah. And they said, well, the music is called chamber music. <laughs> and so we used to squeeze about 100 people into uh, you did, the place you did. at the time. Yeah. And they would be standing outside the door listening as well. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was wonderful. Uh, that was great, Tom. That's lovely. And it's great that we have a chance to, you know, salute some of those great teachers who gave their... Here, here. Free time, free time, and uh, a lot of their free time and their Saturdays, you know, to, to foster that talent. So it's just wonderful. So that's something to look forward to this weekend. Well, I'm afraid, you know, from your lovely talk on, on, on music and the heightened of the arts that can be achieved and the dreams we can dream as we're listening to music, I'm afraid I'm really on rock bottom now in the dark, dark times of Galway. St. Patrick's Day, Tom, 1921. The last two weeks I was talking about that lovely young man, Tommy um, Whelan, yeah. uh, who was hanged totally innocent, no involvement whatsoever in, in Collins's ruthless uh, execution of the spy network in Dublin. No had absolutely nothing to do with it and had witnessed to say so. But however, he was hanged at two days before St. Patrick's Day and his mother kept this wonderful vigil, as I told you, outside Mount Joy. Yeah. Well, then there was revenge for that. And the revenge was that there was two uh, RIC people, uh, a man called Reynolds and another man called Thomas Sweeney, who was only 21 years of age. These were two RIC men. And I have to say about the RIC they were in serious difficulties at this time because they right. were they were the Garda Shikona of the day. And, um, you know, people knew them. They, they did other duties other than keeping law and order, like licenses and keeping, you know, keeping the noise down at night if the pub was being a bit raucous or whatever. And they were well known in the community. They lived in the community. They were well known. And these two people, Charles Reynolds and Thomas Sweeney, were walking around Clifton. They were just passing uh, King's Corner there that's still there today when they were approached by the IRA, armed men with masks, and they were shot. shot. Reynolds was shot dead immediately. Thomas Sweeney was badly wounded, and he died some hours later. But anyway, in revenge for that, you see, this awful tit for tat, the Black and Tans, the most evil of possible you can imagine these men, commandeered the lovely 
train. We've always talked about the Galway-Clifton train that was used by tourists and is used by local people and always a joy traveling through the heart of Connemara. They commandeered the train at midnight and one of them armed men stayed with the driver up by the engine. Another armed man stayed with the guard at the back of the train and about 30 other black and tans got into that train and they went to Clifton, hell bent on murder, mayhem and firing. And they rushed out of the uh, station in Clifton while it was still dark, shouting and terrorizing the people. Now, word of the raid quickly spread. Men feared for their lives, Tom. They ran through their gardens over the walls. They woke up each other shouting, get out of the house quickly. Frustrated, the tans began looting and drinking. As the hours went by, they became more and more drunk. They began setting fire to the town. John MacDonald, a soldier son of the hotel owner, Alex, his dad, ran from the house on Main Street. He was spotted and shouted to stop. He ran on. Shots were fired, but they missed him. John, who had served with distinction, Tom, in the Connacht Rangers in the First World War. Don't forget that war had only ended three years previously. He was promoted a sergeant major in the field. So he had a distinguished army career for king and country, if you like. Here he was running for his life in his native town. But as he ran in front of his father's burning hotel, he was spotted by another group of tans. And this time he was shot dead. He collapsed outside Michael Ward's shop. Patrick Clancy, this is an extra, and I hate telling these blood and gut stories, but it, just to give an, an inkling of this savagery and of the, yeah. you know, total senseless killing. Patrick yes. Clancy was in his brother's public house on Main Street. Uh, now, that was damaged by an unsuccessful attempt to set fire to it. Some tans came into the pub and they ordered drinks. Now, this is, uh, you know, after midnight. For no reason, one of them called Patrick out into the yard. Patrick later told the courts of inquiry, and this is amazing. He followed them without hesitation, of course. They were armed. He wasn't. On entering the yard, he was struck from behind and knocked against the wall. They fired a bullet at him, which passed through his throat. This knocked him down on his hands and knees. Then he said, I received another bullet which passed through his lower jaw. Then he fell flat on the ground, the poor lad. Another bullet was fired at him as he lay flat on the ground, chipping his teeth. But amazingly, amazingly, miraculously, he survived, certainly enough to give evidence. So at this stage, most of the townspeople had fled from their homes. Some sought sanctuary in the workhouse, others in the convent, others ran into the fields. 14 houses and businesses were burnt that night. Imagine 14 houses. This is, Clifton was a small town then, much smaller right. than today. Yeah. Many others were damaged. An obvious target, of course, was poor Tommy Whelan's uh, home out in Sky Road. The Tans went out to his house. Uh, Tommy's brothers had gone into hiding. His mother was, hadn't returned from Dublin yet, where she kept that brave vigil outside Mountjoy, where her son was executed. The only people left in the Whelan household was the father, the grandparents, and small children. The Tans luckily didn't torch the house, but they took photographs of the brothers. And gradually, as the Tans withdrew, they were replaced by regular soldiers who were obviously told what was happening and came out from Galway. 
And they were going around asking people to return to their homes, return to their homes. The danger was over, they were told. Your safety is guaranteed. Two doctors, Surgeon O'Malley and Dr. Sands, arrived from Galway. And I believe it was an unreal scene, uh, you know, smoldering buildings, the people standing around in groups talking and, uh, you know, really terrified and frustrated with what happened. They were so vulnerable to this kind of loutage attack. Now, just say a little bit too, if I might, about this Monsignor MacAlpine, who was the parish priest there for 30 something years. He gave a sermon the next day, and really he was concentrating on the two RIC constables, Reynolds and Sweeney. Sweeney had died at this stage. He said they were the instigator, their murder or their execution or whatever you want to call it, was the instigation for the you know, appalling reprises the Black and Tans paid on the town. And he told the congregation, the remains of Constable Reynolds, who was 33 years of age, living in Clifton with one daughter, 14 years service in the RIC. The other man, Sweeney, was only 21 years of age. He was from Ockram, actually. Uh, he had been removed to Galway where he died. But um, um, McAlpine said, look, um, I, I, we're going to take the remains of Constable Reynolds to the Galway train tomorrow at midday. And I would like as a favour to me that a large multitude of people would turn out and pay their respects to this man who was well regarded in the town. And Tom, this is the, the, this is the difficulty people were having at this time. The RIC, of course, were fading away. People were leaving the RIC in droves because of the whole war of independence, which was beginning to turn. There were terrible things happening. The English government were obviously at their wits end to send in people like the Black and Tans, who were retired soldiers looking for pension, looking for uh, promotion and being well paid. And they were told virtually to behave as they liked. But obviously the RIC was being disbanded quietly. People were staying at home. Now, I know these two officers in Clifton hadn't. They stayed at their post. They were doing their duty. But this was the difficulty that was there in people's minds. And McAlpine was a decent man, and he could see that these were two constables doing their job, and they were shot down. And he did ask that this respect be paid to Reynolds being brought into Galway on the midday train. And a quite a sizable crowd, despite the sufferings that they'd been through the night before, quite a sizable crowd followed the coffin to the station at Clifton, and a wreath was made, put on the coffin on behalf of the people of Clifton. Yeah, who were just as afraid of the church as they were of <laughs> the British army and Black yeah. and Tans. All of that. There's a whole yeah. lot, there's a whole lot of undercurrents going on there, Tom. Indeed. Yeah. You know, yeah. a whole lot of dangerous currents, people trying to find their way out of what was happening. And it, it was, you know, very, very serious what was happening. I mean, you know, that kind of raid. That, that Yahooism and that brutality of the Black and Tans had to leave deep scars on the people. There's no problem. Of course, yes. Yep. Well, Tom, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to go back to the 
sacking of Clifton, if you want to say that, next week, because there's more to be said. I'm using actually cuttings from newspapers, particularly from the Galway Observer, and the, the, the writing is a little bit faded on it, but I hope if people are interested, there's something about the immediacy of uh, immediate re reportage. Indeed there is, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, I do, yeah. But that's what I'm using this week, and I might use a little more of that next week, so... Well, we look forward to that. Oh, Tom, I'm sorry it's such a bleak note after your... <laughs> country, it's history, um, Ronnie, it's notes, history. Notes, notes of music is what we should be leading on, but I look forward to that concert at the weekend in, in St. Yeah, Nick. Indeed, yeah. All right, Tom, we leave it at that. Okay, yeah, till Take next care, week. Take care, Tom. Take yeah. care. Enjoy All the right. week. Bye-bye.